Welcome to Football with Grant Wall, a special U.S. Women's National Team Olympics edition with co-host Christine Cupo. Thanks so much for joining us. The U.S. has just beaten Australia 4-3 to in a wild Olympic bronze medal game. Christine, it is 6.16 a.m. on our last Olympics podcast. How are you? I'm great. Y'all are getting way more used to my I just woke up voice than my <laughs> normal diurnal use of my vocal cords. Um, got some uh, cold brew on tap as usual. Going to be sending myself to space after this. Um, but otherwise feeling good. We're bronze medalists. So I will take it. High five. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, wild game, seven goals after these same two teams had zero goals earlier in this tournament when they played. I think I'm even more angry at the coaches now for telling their players not to score, not to even try to score in the previous <laughs> game, knowing that they they can score seven goals in this game. I mean, apparently they all used every ounce of defense they had for that game and just were pure vibes this one. So, um, yeah, I was like, we're heading for the double digits, ladies and gentlemen. Here we go. And <laughs> just fell short, you know? So two goals for Megan Rapino, including on Olympico, straight from a corner kick to start things. Um, and a wonderful volley that she had. Then Carly Lloyd, two goals for her in this game. Australia makes it tight late. Really great goal to make it 4-3 from Galnick. And then they looked like they were threatening for an equalizer when the referee appeared to blow the whistle right before an Australia corner kick. Um, do you think if this game had gone like five more minutes that we might have seen a different uh, scoreline? Yes. And that's what I was worried about, quite frankly. As we sort of got to that final minute, um, I started to get worried because we had finally seen sort of our U S women's national team playing today. Alas. And <clears throat> yeah, with no defense and pretty shabby, like uh goalkeeping that we were having. Um, I owe a listener an apology because I um, think I significantly undervalue her con- consistently. And I've never missed her more today because there were just some, yeah. I mean, aside from the fact that there was like little to no defensive help, but um, usually a lot more confidence in our keeper. So um, I was like, this is gonna, if this, (laughs) if they equalize here, I'm rioting. Like I can't, I can't handle another day of this. I am exhausted. It is a a. 4am wake up. I can, I don't have the resolution to deal with. Um, another game that goes to extra time where I am on maybe three hours of sleep, one eye open, one eye closed, slight eye twitch, medium caffeinated. I just, no, 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 no. And that's what I kind of saw looking down the barrel there. I, I'm, I'm elated that we managed to get that done. I know that Australia were, are, yeah, were like not thrilled with the ref calling it when they did because you could kind of see the the hands going, the the mouths moving. Um, but quite frankly, me, I was relieved. <laughs> I mean, I think Adriana French is a very good goalkeeper in the NWSL. She hasn't had many caps for the U.S. and and you're right, there's a difference between her. And what we've seen her do in limited minutes for the national team versus Alyssa Nair. Uh, could have done better probably on uh, the first goal for the, that Kerr scored for Australia. Um, 
yeah and i i think there were a couple other moments where she was shaky so um that said you look at carly lloyd and megan rapino having big scoring games here these are two of the most veteran, most decorated players on this U.S. team. And, and certainly people are going to say this may have been their last major tournament game. Maybe not. Um, they seem to bring the mentality today that they that the team hadn't necessarily brought previously in this tournament. I think I agree with that. I think that, I mean, it, I, the writing is on the wall for Carly. Like, it's really unlikely that we're going to see her into her forties playing in the Olympics. But um, I feel like Rapino, there's a chance. I feel like maybe um, <clears throat> she could have sort of the essence of the U S women's national team that you sort of need to keep that like one foundational player, but you also still have like Kristen press and Tobin and like, there's, we're not at a loss for players that will be sort of in that senior leadership role that um, can make sure that, you know, there still is that common denominator for us to move forward with while we keep adding more youth, hopefully fingers crossed. Yeah. My feeling on Carly Lloyd is, I mean, you're going to hear the number 39 put out a lot. She just turned 39. Um, Carly Lloyd's not going to announce her retirement by herself on her own. She is going to have to be told by U.S. soccer and the coach, whoever that is, starting to look like it's going to be Blacko, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, But Carly Lloyd's going to have to be told that she's, whenever she stops playing and she could be 39, she could be 48, whatever. But like, she's not going to do it on her own. Uh, that's kind of her mentality personally. I don't know about Rapino. I think Rapino probably also has more things she can go into um, that we know of, that she knows of outside of, you know, once she's done playing. Um, so I'm curious to see what happens with her. I think I agree with that, though. I think that just personality wise, <clears throat> Rapino will know when to say when and she'll go out on her own terms. Whereas, yeah, Carly. Um, <laughs> suffice to say, um, our wind sprint solo champion of the world, um, will, it's not going to be a telling, I think it'll be more of a, a dragging and, um, I don't know, they, they it might have to be like the big, like parents divorce conversation where like you take the kids to the amusement park and give them ice cream and just try to redirect their energy because it's not going to be a pleasant experience for anybody. Um, that might actually be how this plays out. Good luck to whoever has to initiate that conversation. Um, speed. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a moment though in this broadcast on NBC that I wanted to get your take on where uh, Arlo and, and Julie Foudy talked about how they had spoken to Carly Lloyd in the last day or two, and this clearly was not an off-the-record conversation. It was an on-the-record conversation. It was a pretty spicy interview from Carly, and she was paraphrased by the NBC broadcast as saying that the team's mentality had been way off in this tournament, that there may have been distractions, endorsements, too lavish of treatment of the team and I wish we had Carly's exact words like in writing because clearly this was on the record and this is something that you miss when there's no sort of less formal media interviews during a tournament and an elimination like this so I think we're seeing an example of 
what happens when there's more more limited media access. But it left me wondering what Carly said exactly, because that's a pretty strong statement from her, isn't it? It, it is, but I don't think that it's entirely unfounded. I think that it's surprising to come from Carly. I think I probably would have expected it from others, but I think that there's been something brewing there for a minute. And this Olympics, I think we started to see it finally, because everybody can make, and I hate that I'm going to say this right now because I already, (laughs) everybody can make the age argument. um, But guys, we, we age every year. This isn't a surprise, right? You don't just like get hatched and then suddenly turn 39 and find yourself in the middle of a broadcast in the Olympics. Like they've been aging and they've also been performing. So um, I feel like that's a moot point, but there certainly are other things happening that the team wasn't firing on all pistons. They weren't. They there there seemed to be more of that tenacity there today. But honestly, for me, like the first minute or two of this game, I was worried because it seemed like we went out hard, but not directed. And I was like, oh no, 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 no. Like Australia right away got some shots off that you were like, no, 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 no. You don't, why is this happening already? And then some errors and then we corrected and it became, oh, this is, this is sort of, this is our team. This is what we're used to. Um, I, I think that maybe it is, they got a little bit lost in the sauce. Like, I don't think that's the entirety of it, but I think that's certainly a contributor. Um, I think that having the women's team specifically, seeking both just equal rights as players and pay and things like that have um, sort of directed a lot of individual pursuits too, which I fault absolutely nobody for by all means, like secure the bag because everything that the like U S soccer has shown you is that they're not really looking out for you. So um, I think that that sort of lent itself a little bit to some of these more individual pursuits and ideals that, kind of drag you away, away from that team mentality. Um, but I, I think that that probably only accounts for a small fraction of what's actually transpired. I think that to blame that entirely on that is that's a lot. I'm curious to see if Carly Lloyd expands upon what she said in that interview with the NBC people once everyone gets back to the U.S. Because I have a hard time imagining most of the other players doing that. Um I also think, though, from from Carly's perspective, that it also is um, one, it's it's a very Carly lens to view things through, but also like she is one of the older players. She isn't going to fully understand and grasp some of these sort of like more newer, modern um, ideas and roles for players because she didn't come from that, from that specific clay, you know, like it's a different generation. It's a different way of viewing things. It's a different approach. And I think that she's, she's just also stuck in her own ways, right? Like she's used the avenues that she knows to, um, that she's been comfortable with. And I think that you're going to get a different perspective depending upon who you ask, um, depending upon how diverse their current business life is. But None of these ladies, at least anymore, you probably have to talk to more NWSL players and otherwise have, you know, absolutely necessary side hustles that they're doing to survive. So that's that's another part of it. Right. Like now it's like the cherry on top projects, the freedom to be able to do what you want that other female players don't get the opportunity to. So 
I think it's more of like, think of not just yourselves individually, or those of you who are, you know, like in the triple digit caps that have less to worry about than like the grand scheme of things. Oh, yeah. I mean, by winning this game, by the way, each U.S. player made about $76,000 more than they would have if they had lost this game. So I, I worry less about the financial situations of the national team players than I do about the NWSL players. That said... Exactly. Exactly. That said, it still goes back to the Abby Wambach statement of like, even Abby Wambach at the end of her career knew that she would... Like, unlike other players of her stature in the NFL, she was going to have to work again to make a living in her life as opposed to Peyton Manning, say. Um, so even the, even the established national team players know that. Um, a lot of people are going to be saying, where was this today from the U.S., this entire tournament? Um, and what was it that we saw today um, that was missing before? Honestly, it seems like a lot of the complacency that we saw in the prior games disappeared. And that happens when your heels are to the flame, right? Like nobody expected them to be playing for bronze. Um, I'd go as far as saying they didn't expect themselves to be playing for bronze. And that was with them being well aware that their performances were not on par or not even remotely acceptable to the level that anyone would anticipate for that. Um, and then dealing with whatever mystery issues they had. Um, I'm sure that, you know, knowing there's one more in the chamber, like, let's do this. We have to do this game and pull this off. Um, I don't think it was, you know, the lineup changes or the, you know, like, I think everything at this point was a contributor. Um, today, I think they just came out and cared. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Um, it does seem like a team that is capable of flipping a switch and that that is not necessarily a good thing um, because it means at times you're not flipping it. Uh, and, and what's behind that? Um, I mean, this I mean, is literally who's going to argue that. <clears throat> and yes, you should be going out there and playing to your absolute last drop of sweat. But um, they've gotten by. They've gotten by not having to. And so I think that after all this time, it's they didn't have super tough competition leading into this, right? Like we haven't lost a bunch. <laughs> You get used to winning and, and that becomes sort of you as a team, your identity. We win. It's what we do. Um, and yeah, I think that a little bit of that is impacts you mentally. They haven't had to fight in a while. Yeah. I mean, this was today, by the way, really the first time the U.S. has beaten a good team in this tournament. You know, they beat New Zealand. Fine, but not a great team. And, and yet, like literally... In no other game in this tournament had the U.S. won in 90 minutes. Right. And they did it with an awful defensive performance. Correct. So, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> what have we been doing? Like, you're, you're not wrong. Um, it certainly wasn't the ideal. It's not like we woke up this morning and said, wow, it's a brand new U.S. Women's National Team. Everybody is working super hard and playing to their absolute maximum level. Um, we've optimized the lineup. Like, it wasn't that. Right. Like there's <laughs> we, we still had slip ups. We still had some like, oof, like, why? Why would you do that? Um, barely had a defense show up, but we still did it. And granted, like higher scoring game that needed to be, but um, threatening enough toward the end that you were like, are we going to like really give up like a two goal lead in like the last minute? Like, come on. Yeah. And, and I want to ask you about Vlad Kamandanovsky again, because we had a little bit of this discussion after the last game. Should this guy stick around? Should that question be out there? 
And I actually have a different opinion now on what I think is going to happen. Now, this is not necessarily what I think is going to happen. I think he's going to stay. Like, or it's not what I think should happen necessarily. I am still team Vlaco. Um, I have not changed my opinion. Um, I don't think that we need to be hoisting him out um, by his suspenders just yet. I think I can confidently state now that I'm pretty sure U.S. soccer is what they're going to decide. And I think he is going to stick around. And part of that has to do with the tone from Julie Foudy on the on the NBC broadcast, because not only I think Julie, more than just about any TV analyst in any sport I can think of, has not just power, but knowledge of what's happening inside U.S. soccer. Um, the main person who's going to make this decision is Kate Markgraf. Right. Um, who was literally the TV person in Julie's position for five years ago at the Olympics. They know each other very well. Um, I think the tea leaves can be read pretty well through what Foudy said today, not just through what she said of her own opinion, but sort of the tone of the whole thing, which was very much when she, and she talked at length about the next couple of years uh, in terms of players, but that the the sort of like, assumption underneath it all was that Vladko is going to stay. Now I did after our last game put out a tweet cause I was just curious and I was like on my Twitter, I was do, did one of those survey things, which I don't do very much, <laughs> uh, but it got like 11,000 votes. So like it was quite a few people chimed in on should U S soccer let Vladko go? Should they keep him through the world cup? And ended up uh, yes, it. asking asking our most equal-minded, <laughs> measured, not at all emotional pool of Twitter folks, extremely reliable. Please, if there's anything like judge and jury that come down to me being being perceived by Twitter, um, just drag me out to the square. It's fine. I don't need I don't need the jury. And that's the thing is like, and I actually I will put take exactly what you're saying and put things into my like version of context, which is oh, 56% ended up wanting Vladko to go, which given how negative Twitter is, is actually a pretty good number for Vladko's future, I think, if 44% of the people who bothered to vote wanted him to stay. So that's kind of how I look at that. Okay, that's fair. You need to calibrate a little bit. There needs to be a curve. There needs to be like the little bit of like Twitter salt applied to the top. That's like, okay, it makes sense. I mean, we, I should do like a Twitter survey right now. Like, does, do I know what I'm talking about? Yes, no. To see what the response <laughs> would be. Yeah, that's maybe, <laughs> maybe you throw that one up, like log off for a month and then like come back from a remote island, I, that would be, oh, yeah. shoot. Um, I also think when it, when it comes down to it, if you're going to argue that the Vlaco should go, I do think the main argument would be that this U S team didn't just have one bad game at this tournament. They had a bad tournament. Like this was an underperformance. Oh, overall, uh, except for the bronze medal game, I guess. And the this New will not game. be something that I um, talk about to the grandkids. I'd be like, yeah, that Olympics happened. <laughs> yep, bronze medal. Don't watch those children. Just keep keep going. I, I will say this then. We'll talk about the future in a second when we hit some of these mailbag questions. I am, like a few people we know, sort of tired of seeing Crystal Dunn having to play left back. 
Do you think that might finally change in the next couple of years ahead, you know, in advance of that World Cup? It may. It it would really hinge on are we actually giving opportunities to some of the younger players and sort of moving things around? Because we certainly have defenders in the pool. Um, the question will be like, do we trust them? Are they capable? Are you going to give them the patience, time, and TLC required to get them to where we need them to be? Um, but right now, looking at the strength of the defenders that we have, like, I mean, I love Crystal because she is so versatile. Like, by all means, let the woman do whatever she wants to do. Like, if she wakes up tomorrow and is like, I want to play keeper, let her do what she wants. No questions <laughs> asked. Um, but we still have um, Sauerbrunn, um, who is great. Um, I think Tierna Davidson is wonderful. We've got Casey Kruger. We've, you know, like we have, we've got options for like what can be. And that's just out of, you know, the folks that we actually dragged to this Olympics with us. That's not even mentioning anybody that could be brought into camp. So I think that, um, yeah, I mean, free crystal. It's going to be interesting for me because unlike most four-year cycles where you have a Women's World Cup one year and then the Olympics the very next year, this Olympics fell, because of COVID, directly in between the two World Cups. So there's only two years before the next World Cup. That's still enough time to introduce new and younger players into the team. And... I mean, you mentioned a couple of the names. I'm thinking also Trinity Rodman, Sophia Smith, Katerina Macario, Midge yeah. Purse, Mal, Mal is still very young, by the way, Andy Sullivan. Um, uh, you mentioned Casey Krueger. Like, there's others, too. For sure. For sure. I think that... Uh, is that going to happen? For this Olympics right now, I think, like, the, the worst thing that we did was probably Macario, like, not actually playing her. I feel like she got... Um, I'm not going to speak on her behalf because I don't have any idea how she feels, but there has to be like a like expectations v reality issue right now, just given the, the urgency in which they got like all of her paperwork processed to like get her to play to not like w- what a letdown. <laughs> She's only the starting center forward for Leon, by the I, way. I, like that's what I <laughs> make it make sense. Make it make sense. Paramount Plus. Stream over 2,000 soccer matches a year from around the world. That's all the heart-pounding drama from CBS Sports, including UEFA Champions League, Europa League, Italy's Serie A, Argentina's Primera División, the Brasileirao, the NWSL, the Asian Football Confederation, and the CONCACAF qualifiers, featuring the stars from the U.S. and Mexican men's national teams plus much more. It's the best of the beautiful game with all the beautiful names like Messi, Mbappe, Ronaldo, Rapino, and Pulisic. Be part of the excitement as champions are crowned and history is made. The world's game lives here on Paramount+. Visit ParamountPlus.com to start your free trial and stream every match live. Let's take a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Verna Law, a boutique law firm in intellectual property, including patents, trademarks, and copyrights. 
Verna Law's clients are largely small businesses and startups, and they focus on all aspects of intellectual property from protecting brands to inventions to artistic works. Verna Law's managing partner, Anthony Verna, is also the host of the Law & Business podcast, which you should definitely check out. With more than 60 episodes interviewing a wide variety of intriguing figures about intellectual property, copyrights, startups, and much more. You can also find Anthony Verna on Twitter at AVernaLaw, where he also tweets about soccer, by the way. Or go to the website, vernalaw.com. Thank you very much to Verna Law for sponsoring this episode. Let's go to some mailbag questions here. Um, Emma says, for M Spirit City on Twitter, what do you think made the biggest difference in this game? Um, we've talked a little bit about this game already. Do you think of anything in particular? No, I, I just think that it came down to the realization that it's do or die. Um, we don't win the bronze. That's extremely humiliating, um, especially for the U.S. Women's National Team. I think it's working out some of the bugs and probably some of the just internal issues amongst each other. While I'm sure there wasn't like a magical solution to that, like there seems to be something that's been brewing for a bit. And I think that if anything, they managed to set everything aside for this game to like get in there and really play. And and yeah, I really think it came down more so to like they, they cared. This is from Princess Queen Quark on Twitter. Do you think Vlatko made the right decisions with all his lineups? If not, what changes would you have made? And I guess the question here relates to this was a pretty strict rotation where everyone seemed to get equal time just about who played. Uh, very different from like Jill Ellis at the 2019 Women's World Cup when Carly Lloyd started, I think, one game, you know, that second game against yeah. Chile. And, and Hope Solo made an interesting point a couple of days ago, I think it was on the Goal.com podcast, where she said that she thought Vlatko was too nice to wanting to please people and that she thought as a coach, you can't do that and shouldn't necessarily try to do that in terms of giving sort of equal time to a group of about 14 or 15 players. What's your sense? I think that, um, I mean, yeah, he was, he was rotating folks around uh, some of these players that were kind of perceived as just options in the beginning. Um, like Lynn Williams that actually got to play. That was amazing. Um, I don't fault him for any of that. I think there were some good decisions, some poor substitutions, some, there were mistakes, mistakes were made, but um, I think that, uh, I think that, I mean, addressing some of the other issues like Macario and and other people that should have been playing um, that would have been delightful, but otherwise I don't really take any major issue. I think that some of the um, combinations that I would have liked to have seen didn't really happen, but um, I I don't know. Maybe it is a little bit like he's trying to please people. I hadn't really uh, perceived it that way, I guess. But I do think that that's also kind of a bizarre comment to make because not everybody is motivated the same way. So the counter of that would be like, yeah, that's why they were so unmotivated is because they knew that they were going to get in there at some point in some way, shape, or form. Who knows? Um, it can go one way or the other, right? Like there are going to be players that like need the tough love and there's going to be players that certainly need like extra hugs in between and maybe having just painted them with like, whoop, here you go. Like we all know that we're getting our, our time in the game didn't particularly 
light a fire under anybody. I don't know. It was pretty incredible to me just looking at the overall tournament, how many U.S. players had subpar, worse than expected performances. I'm thinking basically everybody, but... But everything down to fundamentals. It wasn't like, oh, like they just weren't performing as they would ordinarily. It's like, we couldn't string together passes. We're not defending. We're, we don't know where to expect somebody to be to even lay off the ball. We're not getting beyond like two or three balls per like go. It was, it was all bad. <laughs> it, was, it was bizarre. Even the attacking players too. I mean, like Alex Morgan, Rose Lavelle, Sam Mewis, Lindsey Horan, all subpar, you know, Rapino obviously um, until the, until today. Um, it's, it's just kind of crazy to me that it happened for so many players that way in this tournament. Here's an interesting question, I think, from Alexandria Seaborn. Do you think after this performance by the ladies, who, or after the performances by the ladies who went overseas being very subpar, do you think this will discourage more players trying other leagues in tournament years? So I guess what she's noticing is subpar performances from some of the players who went to Europe just this past season. So Sam Mewis, Rose Lavelle, Alex Morgan, Abby Dahl Kemper, um, you know, players like that. And I certainly hadn't thought about it in those terms, nor do I think going to play overseas should have any real impact on how you play for your national team. You know, these players went overseas largely, several of them, because they couldn't get games in NWSL because of COVID. Uh, I guess Christian Press and Tobin Heath also went to Man United. Um, but I, I don't think that should be a reason to not go overseas. I don't think it should be a reason to not go overseas, but I also think that, as you pointed out, this was extremely atypical in that this was also in the middle of a pandemic. So if you are going to leave your family familiarity and everything else, maybe under ordinary circumstances, which other players have talked about this, like some struggle, some do just fine and thrive. Um, they also did this in the middle of like a really isolating time when you couldn't actually function as a normal person. So I think that one, it had to be psychologically taxing. Um, and I do think that some of that, the, the differences between playing and sort of like women's super league and otherwise, like they're different from NWSL, right? Like it depends on where you are, who you're training with, even, you know, in the past few years, depending upon which team you were playing for in NWSL, your experience was going to be wildly different. Right? It wasn't too long ago that like sky blue now Gotham were like operating out of a trailer in like subpar conditions. So, I mean, the differences are, they're not mapped one-to-one. I don't think it should persuade anyone away from going to play abroad if that's something that they truly want to pursue. But I think that consistently in the past, like we've kind of had the leg up in the U.S. for being more of a league that people want to try to get to, at least for female players. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting to me that there are fewer like Australian players in the NWSL now than there used to be. A lot of them have started to go to, to European I clubs. mean, like the influx of cash into the subsequent women's leagues, um, whether it be like French or um, Italy. Well, I mean, arguably, we'll call it cash influx. Nevertheless, um, but 
you know, they're, they're getting a lot more just sponsorship dollars, ad dollars, exposure. And so those leagues are growing. And so if we're not all on par with that, then there's going to be others that lag. So if you're asking the question, where does women's soccer go from here? We got the Olympic final coming up, obviously, uh, later tonight, if, unless they change the time, which they should. Um, and then <laughs> we've got the club season coming up as well. Uh, we've got a couple of really good club tournaments in the U.S. with some of the top teams like uh, Barcelona, the European champions, coming over for this tournament in Portland. Bayern Munich's coming over. Lyon's going to Portland. They're going to have some NWSL team involved, teams involved. Uh, contractually, the U.S. women are going to go on a four-game post-Olympics tour um, now that they've gotten the bronze medal. Um I don't think we're going to see any like retirement announcements in the very near future here. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see at what point we start to see something like that. Uh, we're going to get, I think, some sort of confirmation that Vlaco is going to stick around. I think that's going to happen. They have to just to move forward with anything. There needs to be some certainty. I think you're right. I don't think anybody's going to be raising their hand super eager to retire at this very moment. I think that maybe we would have gotten more of those sentiments had we won gold. Um, Somebody would be eager to go out on top, not Carly. I think that she'll she'll always (laughs) be down to play, which good for her, like keep that fighting spirit. Um, But but I think that, yeah, if if the vibes had been better, the performance is better, it maybe would have been more of a question of like, do I do I do I pull the pin now? So let's wrap this thing up here. I really appreciate you doing these podcasts. It's been fun, even if the US didn't get all the results that fans might have been hoping for. Aside from getting up insanely early. Do you want to do this again sometime on US games? I would love to do this, but I need to burn some sage and make sure that like maybe I'm not the jinx or something here. Um, get some rest, a little sun, come back revived so that uh, maybe we can convince, I don't know, the next set of games to be at a normal time and not an ungodly 4 a.m. start. But we've survived. It's been fun. Um, who knows where we go from here, right? Yeah, we've gotten some great download numbers. So thanks to everyone who's been listening during this entire tournament. Uh, where can they find you on social, Christine? Um, on Instagram at Miss Coupo, M-I-S-S-C-U-P-O. I am on Twitter at C Coupo. Um, and sometimes you can catch me on TikTok, though very rarely. I'm usually just out there curating and liking a lot of stuff. Um, also Miss Coupo. Well, thank you very much for doing all this, Christine. It's been a, a very fun experience. Likewise. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall, everyone. I want to thank Christine as well as producer Chris Whittingham. If you like the podcast, You could do us a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review. Be safe, everyone. See you next time.